Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder and the big night that they had yesterday, even though they didn't even play. So I'm going to be talking about the draft lottery coin flip that happened around noontime, and then I'm going to be talking about some of the results from the playoffs that we saw and what it might mean for the franchise moving forward. Also, I'm going to be talking a little bit more on Michich. Talked about him yesterday, but there is still some more news surrounding the point guard. So I'm also going to be talking a little bit about him as well. But starting things out with OKC, they had a gigantic day yesterday. And it's something that I talked about yesterday that it happened. Obviously, like no live updates. I know in like the past week, I've also been dropping it around. But yesterday was the big day for the franchise because there was a coin flip and it's not a literal coin flip it's just like lottery stuff like ping pong balls I think now but they could have done a coin all the less because it was 50 50 anyways but pretty much them and the Cavs they finished the season with the same record at 22 and 50 and you know should it have happened probably not but it happened anyways And what this coin flip determined was pretty huge. Now, in terms of top four, nothing was touched here. Oklahoma City and Cleveland, they split the top four odds. So both of them have a 45.1% chance of a top four pick. And then for number one, 11.5. That is the cut both of them are taking out of this. But there was still a ton of ground that needed to be decided with that one flip and it wasn't just between the thunder and the cavaliers there was a gigantic three-way tie for the eight through ten spots with the bulls the kings and the pelicans and then even as you go a little bit further down the board charlotte and san antonio were knotted for 11 and 12 and i think there even were some that needed to be sorted out into the playoff teams who finished with the same records yeah there were some uh three-way ties, and then there were also a couple of just two-way ties kind of put in there. But the big one came with Oklahoma City and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it was written out like this would have been televised somewhere, not live, because they don't do it for the lottery either. They show like the lottery drawing maybe like a couple hours after on like YouTube or something. I think I've seen some. I know I, I distinctly remember Um, Back when Alvin Gentry was manning the Pelicans, he went crazy when the Pelicans got the number one pick. And I guess whenever they do it that way, like in the the back room, they start with number one and work their way back up the board. So it was kind of just immediate, like a flow of emotion. It wasn't a lot of suspense built up. It was just, hell, what the? We just got Zion Williamson out of nowhere? So yeah, it's kind of just like that. Um, but I guess it, they said somewhere they would show it on NBA TV. I don't have NBA TV, so I was not able to see it or get the clip for it, but I'm assuming it happened somewhere. It just wasn't really recorded because who cares really outside of the Thunder and Cavaliers fan base. Same goes with everybody else, but yeah, I mean, it was still very, very huge. And let me tell you why, because the Thunder, they got it. Their ping pong ball rattled out of the machine, and that meant that they now have the fourth best odds in the lottery. And as I mentioned, when we are talking these odds, we don't even want to have to dig into, you know, this win that we have here, because it's all tied up from one to four. Obviously, we don't want the Thunder to have a pick outside the top five. We don't want them to have a pick 
that's not number one, right? We want to see the best for the team. So going into these like tiebreaker standings, it's really not an ideal situation anyways, but it gives a little bit more of a safety blanket for the franchise and what might happen in draft lottery night and kind of what we can expect just a little bit more. So the big deal that came out of this was the kind of capacity that you could fall in the lottery. And you have these kind of like weird percentages, but it's been kind of standard since, you know, this new reform came into to like the lottery. You know, the worst team in the league, they can be one through five. The second worst team, one through six. Third worst, one through seven. Fourth, one through eight. Fifth, one through nine. Like it just goes in kind of that sequence. So yeah, you add on one extra one until you ultimately hit 14 around pick, um, what is it? I guess it is like pick eight or nine. I think it's pick, you know what? Oh, nope. It's pick 10. Yeah. Pick 10. Cause the Pelicans, they have like a tiny chance, but it just kind of works in that order. So the big thing that needed to be touched up upon was who could fall down to the ninth pick and who at worst could finish eighth. And this is a big deal because as I talked about yesterday, there are kind of groups that are being formed out in this lottery. And quite frankly, I like to look at it as a seven-man race because once you get into eight, it's a little bit harder to kind of pick apart. But you have Cade Cunningham, you have the two Jalens and Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs. You have Evan Mobley as that center, Kuminga, Scotty Barnes, and then you also have Jalen Johnson from Duke. So that's seven guys. And then at number eight, you can slot someone like Davion Mitchell from the Baylor Bears. That's great. I think once you fall into nine, you do kind of drop off a bracket. And truthfully, I think eight is kind of when you start hitting that wall. Maybe even before that, because there are like tiny segments like we know who's kind of going to be in the top three, top five. There are groups that are breaking out. But I think there's one kind of forming around that eight, nine spot. So it's good to be over that mountain and to make it even nicer for the Thunder. There's a very slim chance they even fall at that eighth pick. And this is a doomsday scenario. You don't want to see the Thunder picking at eighth, but it's good to know at worst you're going to get someone like a Davion Mitchell. So there's a 2.4% shot that the Thunder fall at the eighth spot. And that's really good because 97.6% of the time you're going top seven and you're going to go out there and at worst snag one of the better forwards in this draft class, whether it be Kuminga, Johnson, or Scotty Barnes, you know, so that would not be bad at all. I don't know how it's going to shape up, but I'm going to assume one of those forwards would be at number seven anyways. But let's just say that the Thunder would have lost this coin flip. This would have been pretty bad because the Cleveland Cavaliers, there's a 0.6% chance they're going to get nine. That's like nothing anyways, but it's good to know you just wipe it off the board. But at number eight, it's pretty bad. There's an 8.6% chance they could fall there. So a 9.2% shot, they're not even looking at the top seven in this draft. That is pretty scary for them considering they kind of just dropped the ball for the rest of the season. And it's not great for us either because, you know, if we would have kind of just tanked it out, we would have been in a tie with the Orlando Magic for the third best odds. Would have bolstered them out a little bit more. But you're going to be thankful for what you have here because if you see the Cleveland Cavaliers falling at eight or falling at seven, falling at nine, just know that would have been the Oklahoma City Thunder had that ping pong ball not gone our way yesterday. But yeah, I mean, that's the big breakthrough 
But um, when you're talking even more number crunching, you go into seven. That's the most likely outcome for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Over a quarter of the time, 25.5% of time, you're going to see the Cleveland Cavaliers taking that number seven spot. Where the Thunder, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still a really high shot for them here. But it's only 18%. So they lost 7.5% of a shot there at number seven. That is gigantic. Number six is where the Thunder are expected to have their pick. That is when you go, you know, a million times, a million simulations, that's where they're going to fall. 27.1% of the time, that is going to be Oklahoma City's pick. And that's one of the higher outcomes for anyone point blank. The Magic, they also have a very high shot at number six, though. They have a 26% chance. And the Detroit Pistons, with the second best odds, they have a 20.1% chance. That is the worst they can come out of this draft with. So number six, that's still pretty much a win because now you're looking at Kuminga or you're looking at Scotty Barnes because there's a lot of kind of traction that is being gained with Scotty Barnes right now. Maybe he might even overtake Kuminga. But if you come out of here with Kuminga, this is a guy who is expected to be top five all year. He definitely kind of meets that threshold for what a top five pick would be. So hell yeah, you'd go out of there with Kuminga with a big smile on your face. You obviously want more, but you're not going to be mad coming out of this draft night with the sixth pick, given what we have seen. Number five, this is also a gigantic one between the Thunder and the Cavs. The Cavs pretty much have no chance of getting number five in this draft. Only a 2% chance for them. The Thunder have a 7.4% chance, so a 5.4% increase for number five. And that's still you kind of looking at the Scotty Barnes Kuminga situation because that's kind of expected. I think the top four is almost set in stone right now, unless there's a crazy curveball we get. But yeah, you get first priority there. And Sam Presti, knowing him, probably would make the right choice anyway. So that's good to know there that there's at least a chance at five because there really wouldn't have been with the, you know, the fifth best odds. And then, I mean, seriously, you would be looking at that six and seven combo as a pretty deadly one it's still pretty deadly for the thunder though nonetheless because you know six and seven that is the most likely situation for them there is a 45.1 percent chance you're going out of draft night with one of those two picks at six or seven so yeah it could be a lot better there but it's better than what the Cavs have because they also have a very high shot for six or seven but once you work to five there's really nothing there, and then you also need to take into account that they could be 8 or 9, and I mean, we technically could be 8 too, but it's really not something that is expected, and even at 8, it's much better than what you would have at number 9 in this draft class, because as I talked about, there are kind of different groups that are being picked apart right now, and number 9, that would be kind of outside the ideal scenario anyways so that was big for the thunder when you want to talk about the top five or i guess top four odds as i mentioned it's the exact same cut pretty much identical all the way through 11.5 percent for number one 11.4 for two 11.2 for three and 11 flat for four so overall you have a 45.1 percent shot of a top four pick and then also you back it up with a 45.1 percent shot of landing six or seven so five and eight are outliers eight more in particular five could actually happen so 
that's what you kind of need to look out for heading into draft night. We'll see what happens. Well, not even draft night, a lottery night. That is, I believe, now 27 days away. So make sure to mark your calendars. This is going to be the biggest day of the season for the Thunder. And the emotions are going to be riding extremely high. We have not had a playoff situation all year for the Thunder. This is going to be that playoff situation. And this is going to be a freaking championship run damn near if they can somehow come out of this with a number one pick in the draft. But talking about teams who are going to be in the playoffs and are in the playoffs, I want to be talking about two different teams. And particularly what we saw from them last night and what it means for us. So there were three different games that were played yesterday. One of them, quite frankly, didn't really matter between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics. If Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal would have, you know, been able to mount themselves over the Celtics in the play-in, oh, I'd be talking about this every day. I'd love to talk about KD versus Westbrook. Didn't happen though. And instead, you got to see the Nets just wipe the floor with the Celtics. So they have a 2-0 lead in that series right now, but that's not what I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about the Phoenix Suns, and I wanted to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. And I want to preface this by saying the Phoenix Suns one really has no relation to the Thunder at all. And if it does, it's very, very dist- distant anyways. Like, you guys probably know what I'm talking about here, but it's not even the team. It's about one player in particular, and it's about Cameron freaking Payne. And oh my goodness, this guy has been a big surprise, a pleasant surprise, really. And I highly suggest listening to this. Um, As you all know, I'm part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I've just kind of bounced around from uh, different, you know, creators on there. And I ended up going upon the solar panel. This is the podcast for the Phoenix Suns, actually. And there was an amazing interview between the hosts and Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne was on there for about 30 minutes. And this is going to be an episode that whether you're a Phoenix Suns fan or a Thunder fan, you're going to be all over this. Because as we know, Cameron Payne has been on a roller coaster ride ever since he was drafted in 2015. Picked one slot above Devin Booker. That was, you know, the assumed pick the Thunder would have taken in the draft had he been there. But obviously, that just did not happen. And they got Cameron Payne anyways. But going into the situation, like, it was a bit interesting. Because I specifically remember, like, I think the talk was he was a reach anyways. Like, I think DeLon Wright was already on. Yeah, he was still on the board at that spot too and then I mean me personally you know I wanted Kelly Oubre it seemed like everybody wanted Kelly Oubre went the pick immediately after and then there were even guys like Rondé Hollis Jefferson I might be wrong in the year but I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson was also a little bit above there but they took you know Cameron Payne out of lowly Murray State not much goes on but it was just one of those kind of hit or miss picks and this lefty had a sweet looking floater. That was the first immediate thing. But the second thing was, oh my God, look at his jump shot. What is going on with his feet? Um, and I mean, he was a fun player to watch. Don't get me wrong. But this was a team, the Thunder were already trying to compete for a championship here. They just got rid of Reggie Jackson the year prior. They got Enos Cancer in. So they needed a secure backup next to Russell Westbrook. I understand it. But, you know, he kind of just got lodged into a situation where 
he couldn't bring like immediate help. He wasn't a guy you plug in and then he immediately stars for you. Like, yeah, he wasn't a one and done guy. He was already 21 when he started playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, but he wasn't near enough polished. He was raw as all get out. So it didn't make sense. And he was fun. Like, as I said, he was so fun to watch. I love seeing him shoot floaters. Even in the corner, he was just he was good, had a ball of energy on him every single game. And then the Russell Westbrook dances, man. The one against the Dallas Mavericks where freaking Charlie Villanueva kept like getting in between them. <laughs> they were so funny. And I saw him dancing too um, with the Phoenix Suns. But yeah, I mean, that was just kind of him. Hilarious guy to watch. And I mean, that was about it. But he didn't really fit the Thunder anyways like he only got to play 12 minutes in his rookie season or 12 a game played 57 games in all and he averaged five points 1.5 rebounds and 1.9 assists big deal was you know shooting from three you're shooting 32 percent that's not terrible but in terms of where the thunder were at that point the timelines just truthfully didn't make any sense whatsoever like they were trying to make a major playoff push at the time they just got Dion Waiters alongside Cantor back then and then they also had off the bench uh Randy Foy too and I think Anthony Morrow was there so there were a lot of like gunslingers off the bench and I mean there just wasn't a ton of room for him anyways so it seemed like you know that 14th pick first off it was a fluke because of the year prior missing the playoffs due to injury um but yeah I mean they just didn't really have the same kind of timetables and it made sense why he got traded truthfully he didn't look like an amazing point guard at the time and when he got traded to the Bulls it did hurt a little bit but when you saw the return on the trade that was made did it really matter like I don't remember talking to anybody um who was upset Cameron Payne got traded at the time because it was a straight up steal it was Cameron Payne Anthony Morrow I think he was a piece more people were upset about to be honest and then Joffrey Laverne who is one of the more forgettable players uh who went inside the Thunder organization I loved him but yeah he's so forgettable um but they three got traded to the Bulls for Doug McDermott Taj Gibson and a second round pick that was a straight up steal at the time and it probably still is like Doug McDermott was a huge piece for the Thunder. This was a player who the Thunder would have loved to have back, um, I think it was 2013 when McDermott got drafted. I might be wrong, but I definitely remember the Thunder, you know, had links to him dating back to like workouts and stuff. And then Taj Gibson, he was just a trusty backup off the bench. And then a second round pick for good measure totally swindled the bulls there that was the most one-sided trade i think i've seen the thunder pull off and there's been a decent bit of them take it back because the sga one obviously that trumps them all that's going to be the most lopsided trade for probably the next 10 years i don't want to get ahead of myself but yeah that was a good ass trade anyways i mean that deal was ridiculous it made sense why we traded him away and then with chicago it just didn't work out like there was a report that after two practices they knew he wouldn't have worked he didn't work with the bulls anyways he played 11 games and in his first year he did with them he wasn't good at all um and then the next season with the bulls it was also pretty ugly he got the full year done there but it was only 25 games he played and he averaged 8.8 points which is not terrible 
but it wasn't enough, I guess, because he, he ended up playing in 2018, in 2018 to 2019, got cut, and then he played for the Cavs for nine games, started bouncing around the block, and this is when it gets pretty, pretty interesting, because this is where you can find it. It's from It's Dave King from the Solar Panel Podcast. I forgot which episode, but I know it was in this month, so make sure to check it out. But um, yeah, he was talking about his journey. Cameron Payne ended up having to move after briefly playing in the G League. Nothing worked out for him. He had to move over and played in China. Played for Shanks. I might be mispronouncing it. Shanks Longs or whatever, whatever it may be. Played for them for a little bit. And here's what I got from the interview. Pretty much with Cameron Payne, he got in there in a situation. This was the worst possible team he could have found himself in in the CBA, which is China's Premier League. This was the worst team he could have found himself in, quite frankly, because he only got to play two games with the team. And in China, I mean, the American players, they are expected to pretty much be the stars. You see guys like Marshawn Brooks drop 40 points a game, and that's a normal thing. You don't bat an eye when you see that. You know, players that are brought in who aren't, you know, from China, it's a big deal because they can only have three players, two or three players um, from America on a roster at the same time. And maybe it might just be in general anywhere except from China. But he goes in. He's already expected to be the star. Well, the other guy that he was competing with was Jamal Franklin. And I remember him from San Diego State. Played a little bit in the NBA. I think it was with the Nuggets. But He's kind of a star in China, and he still is. Jamal Franklin was like one of the leading scorers. He was a top five player that season in the CBA. So there was really no point in even taking him out of the rotation. And you only get three different kind of changes within the lineup in China with these American players. You can only filter them in three different times in a season. So they already burned through two of them. I guess by the time Payne got there. That would have been the first one. But Payne goes in there, gets to play two games, think they lost them both, whatever. Point being, Jamal Franklin was much better than Cameron Payne because that's a scorer's league. It's not about being a flashy passer. It's about being able to create your own shots. Jamal Franklin's one of the best to do it in China right now. So Franklin got to get moved back in and two out of the three rotation movements were already set in stone. Could have moved him one time back but they said they don't plan on using it because, you know, it was kind of the middle of the season anyways. If they were going to change anything, it would have been the tail end of the year. So they pretty much just told him, we'll keep you on the roster, but you're not going to be playing. So Cameron Payne called up his agent, got the hell out of there, and then he wound up with the Texas Legends. And he said, I want to be able to pull up the quote. I don't know if I can. I don't really know how to clip stuff from other podcasts. But you guys can listen to the full thing if you want to. It's a great interview. But Cameron Payne said that whenever he came back, he wanted to be in a situation that he knew already. And that would have been with the Oklahoma City Blue or the Texas Legends. And he had to wait for, you know, the Blue or the Legends to be on the bottom of the standings so they could have picking order of the free agent pool because that's how it works. If he would have 
drawn his name into the free agent pool, he wouldn't have wound out with the legend. So he had to wait, was pretty much just practicing for like a month, got snatched up, and got up and running. Some other guys who played for the legends that year, Isaiah Roby, Moses Brown, and Jalen Horde. I think Jalen Horde also was there for a brief moment in time. But he went in, got NBA G League Player of the Week, and was able to kind of move himself up to the point that, hell, you know, the Phoenix Suns gave him a two-year contract last season, and he's been up and running ever since. So he got to play in the bubble for a little bit, pretty insignificant. But this season, he's turned himself from a guy who almost seems like a fluke. Like whenever he got the original contract from the Suns, it didn't really seem real because he was so off the grid. He went from off the grid to now, I mean, last night being one of Phoenix's top scorers and in the clutch, probably their best player at hand. So it's ridiculous. Overall this year, Cameron Payne has been averaging 8.4 points a game, playing 18 minutes. It's kind of high given the you know amount of time he gets, but also he's averaging 3.6 assists. That's an amazing backup to Chris Paul. And for the money that they're giving him, he's one of the best in the league to be doing it right now. And he's only 26 years old, but my goodness, I mean, he's just elevated himself so much. And it's not like he's playing any different. He has just kind of refined his game so much. He went from not being able to buy a bucket, make any sort of amazing play to now, like I said, he was the one orchestrating amazing plays for the Phoenix Suns last night. And they weren't able to get the win. They lost by seven to the Lakers yesterday because LeBron James went off in the fourth quarter, finished the game with 23 out of those. I don't even know how many were fourth quarter points, but my goodness, he could not be stopped at the end there. Tried to everybody, Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, it was going in regardless. But Cameron Payne was just amazing. He was a freaking energizer bunny for them. And off the bench, he played 33 minutes, scored 19 points on 6 of 15 shooting, and had 7 assists on the game. He probably would have finished the game out had he not fouled out of the game. But yeah, he was great. And it's because Chris Paul, he got pulled early, only played 23 minutes. But I'd say Payne filled in perfectly fine because they were in the game and they were winning the game for the majority until like the final three, four minutes. It kind of just slipped away from them. But Cameron Payne has established himself here. And, you know, you cannot be more happy about it because he was such a likable guy with the Thunder. And it was just such a bad situation, really. Like I talked about the timelines he didn't make sense for us. Like we needed a veteran point guard at the time and Payne was not able to do that. And there was just too many mistakes on his end. So the the deal to Chicago made sense, but it's just good to see he went from pretty much being a joke, like a laughing stock to now people are taking him seriously. And it looks like he's going to be in the league for, you know, a, a good time, um, you know, past this. So I'm pretty happy for him. Um, but yeah, that, that was just kind of my spiel on Cameron Payne. Might be more talk on him just seeing how everything goes, but this also just works back to Sam Presti. Like, this is, you know, a person that we always talk about the high picks, but he's had those busts kind of sprinkled in there that everybody dusts away. And one of those busts was Cameron Payne. And this was not something you could argue. Cameron Payne was a bust before this year. Like, played one season, one and a half seasons for us, and then just fills it out of the league. He's doing great now, and I don't think he's a bust anymore, so you could take him off the list. Yeah, it took 
four or five years to make things work out. But he's at a pretty good level now. And I think that, you know, that little group where you can kind of isolate the bus really just rests in like Mitch McGarry and Josh Hustis, if you want to throw him in there too. Like, it's not that many people anymore. So I take that as a win. Perry Jones, too. My goodness. Oh, man. I could talk about that 2012 draft forever. But, ugh. Going from Baylor expecting to be so much was not was not much at all. <laughs> My gosh. But um yeah. I mean there's a lot of stuff in the draft. Cameron Payne's not a bust anymore though, so take him off your bingo cards. One thing that you need to be monitoring though is the Los Angeles Clippers. And man, um this is a team where, you know, past this season. We pretty much control them. Sam Presti controls the Los Angeles Clippers. And it's due to that botched up trade they made to get Paul George in the first place. They wanted to be able to get Kawhi Leonard over to LA to begin with. And don't get me wrong. I think at the time when the Clippers made that deal, it kind of made sense for them. Because it was a lot to be giving up. It was SGA. It was Gallo. We forget he was even part of that. But SGA, Gallo a ton of picks i think it's like five first round picks pick swaps you know just a lot of stuff that you're just throwing out there for paul george so i mean that deal it was kind of a package and it was to make sure they could have kind of some future and they wanted to be able to compete immediately that's what they gave them it gave them Kawhi and pg to just be a two-headed monster try to get themselves a championship and they even bolstered themselves up even more i mean they had harold last year He's now gone, but they have Serge Ibaka on the roster. They have Marcus Morris, Beverly's still there. Serge Ibaka, as I mentioned, he's he's there. And then they even got Reggie Jackson. They somehow got him out of there to go along with DeMarcus Cousins as well. So on paper, I mean, they're not bad. I don't even know if I mentioned Luke Kennard, but he's there too. Like, that's a good team on paper. And going into this season, they were expected to come out of the West. They were either right behind the Lakers or they were ahead of the Lakers. They were top two in early bets on the roster. And that's kind of how it was last year. Didn't work out for them, but it didn't matter because, you know, this was, there was still a year left. And it looks like they've just put all the pedal to the metal they possibly can. This is their big push this year. And it is just crumbling to pieces right now. Game one happened with the Mavericks. End up losing my double digits. It's whatever. You can come back from being down 1-0. But what about being down 2-0 to the Mavericks? They lost 127-121 to last night. And oh my gosh, it was so just fun to watch that happen. You know, they had a couple of good players. Kawhi Leonard, he was the superstar. He had 41 points in this game. But outside of Kawhi... You couldn't really bet on anybody else. Paul George, he had 28 points, shot 12 of 22 to get there. And Reggie Jackson had 15. But nobody else could make a single shot in this game. And for the Mavericks, they had so many different weapons in the game. Doncic had 38 points. Chris Dobbs had 20 points. Maxi Kleba had 12, or excuse me, 13 points. But the main dude was Tim Hardaway Jr. We saw him whenever he's playing for the New York Knicks. He was averaging a little bit over 19. Ended up getting moved, and he didn't really see the 20-point games from him a lot. 
It's happened more and more with the Mavericks this year. Whenever the Thunder played the Mavs, we weren't talking about Doncic. We weren't talking about Kristaps Porzingis. You know what we were talking about? We're talking about Josh Richardson and Tim freaking Hardaway Jr. Hardaway Jr. was a star in the fourth quarter. He clutched up with like two or three gigantic threes in the final five minutes. Ended up having 28 points by the end of the game on 38 minutes. He was an all-out star for them. So thank you so much, Tim Hardaway Jr., and thank you, Dallas Mavericks. The Los Angeles Clippers wanted to tank their way over to that side of the bracket. They didn't want to see the Lakers, who almost, almost found themselves on this side anyways, because they almost lost to the Warriors, but they wanted to get a, as far away from them as possible. A seven seed wanted to dodge him. They did that, and now they're losing 2-0 to the Dallas Mavericks. Good job, guys. So, it's a doomsday scenario for them, and I'm just going to be honest here. Like, being down 2-0, it doesn't mean that you're going to lose, but if you go back and look kind of at prior history, it's really not a good spot to be in, and you don't need to really be that smart to understand that like you gotta win four games out of the next what five so you gotta be lucky and this is from Derek Parker he works for the Oklahoman but uh, also does Sports Illustrated too they launched a website but he has this here teams are 27 and 399 when facing an 0-2 deficit in the playoffs and that is just a little bit over a 6% chance right there. So that's pretty good when you're talking Mavericks. I'm rooting for the Mavericks regardless. I don't really care who they're playing. I like watching Luka Doncic and Porzingis. Hell, even Tim Hardaway Jr. is making me kind of side with them right now. But, I mean, they're picking up the heat right now and the pressure is on for the LA Clippers because as I mentioned last year was supposed to be their major championship run it didn't matter they lost but they said we're gonna retool let's go back and take another crack at it this was the best roster they could make their back is against the wall in terms of money right now they're spending over 109 million dollars on the current payroll right now or excuse me no I'm just checking this now 138 million dollars on the payroll right now that's absolute hell for them in terms of money and it only goes up next year it goes up to 148 million dollars if everybody still signs on with the roster and that's still not taking into account some of the other moves that would need to be made made because there's like four or five guys going off the books but they have to be penny pinching for anything right now they don't have money for next year they don't have money for the year after that they're booked on major major contracts but one of them could be gone as soon as this year he could leave in free agency and it's Kawhi Leonard he's on for this year but then he has a player option and people are talking about this like hey if they lose again if they get swept by the Mavericks Maybe he just walks, and let's just be real. If Kawhi Leonard leaves LA right now, they are screwed. Paul George as the superstar, who do you have as the co-star right there? You really don't have anyone. And someone like Serge Ibaka, he's also on a player option too, so I'm just going to assume he's walking out of the door as well because he'd be making 9.7 mil. I think he could probably do that elsewhere anyway, so it really does not matter to him. He could leave if he wanted to, but yeah, I mean, they got ugly contracts, like, 
you know, Paul George, he has $162 million guaranteed. He can go until 2024 making damn near $50 million at the tail end. They got Marcus Morris on a four-year $64 million contract. And Luke Kennard's kind of on the same deal right now. So they don't have any room to play with. And if Kawhi Leonard leaves, all the picks that the Thunder have right now, let's look at all these different picks that the Thunder acquired from that trade. They have the Clippers pick in 2024, in 2024, and in 2026. But it gets even better because they have pick swaps in those gap years. In 2023, the Thunder can swap. In 2025, they can swap. And all those picks are unprotected. They control the LA Clippers past this season. And when you rattle out all the different years, that takes you what? 22, 23, 24, 25. And 26, that's five years that the Thunder control their picks. And if they're going to be under this current trajectory, if Leonard leaves, they're done for. Now, I'm going to be honest. I think a lot of people might just say immediately he could leave right now because they are in a terrible spot. And I agree. I think they probably are not going to be able to win. Um, I think they might be done after this round. Now, they could come out of this and then it's a clean slate. Hell, they could win the entire thing. But if they lose here, I can't imagine anyone's going to be too happy. And, you know, if it goes a third year and they don't win, I say Kawhi Leonard's as good as gone. You get that player option, you're out the door by the 2023 season. But, but, I think for right now, I don't see Kawhi Leonard leaving. I mean, you push yourself so hard to get to LA. Same goes with Paul George, too. I mean, he had to swindle his way. First, he had to, you know, get his way out of San Antonio. That's uglier than people remember. He goes to Toronto, gets a championship, leaves a championship roster to play for the Clippers, and then Paul George does the same thing, babies his way out of Indiana. For the Thunder, I think it was pretty mutual anyways. He leaves to go play for the Clippers. The Thunder, they just rebuild from ground zero. It's done a great job for them. And then the Clippers they're out here contending. So for all the work these guys put in to get to Los Angeles, I don't think they want to leave. I know that, you know, Paul George played for Fresno State. He wants to stay in LA. That's that's the assumption. I think Kawhi probably does too, because hell, he went to San Diego State, also a Cali kid. I don't think they're leaving, but I'm just saying right now, like, they can't really get anything big in free agency. The roster you see now is the peak Clippers team you're going to see unless something major is done with a contract or unless there's a major trade done. And one of the things tossed around is maybe they'll just give a major middle finger to Paul George, ship him off, and try to get another co-star. I also don't know if that would happen. I think that's pretty unlikely too. But I, I do think that, you know, where they currently are at, the only way they can improve is by deteriorating their roster. They tried doing that when they traded Shamit away to Brooklyn, that mega three-team deal, which I think they won because they got Kennard and some second-round picks too. But that's not going to swing you to a championship. They right now are leaning on two guys for a championship. You take one of the two, a Paul George or Kawhi out, they're not making it past this first round anyways. Regardless who they're playing, they wouldn't be making it past this first round. Maybe Kawhi could leverage you out of one series, but you're not making a championship run with one of the two. So I just kind of take it as, take it game by game. You don't want to get too crazy about these draft picks and 
quite frankly, none of these picks are going to be valued high if Kawhi and Paul George stay long term. But if you go into that doomsday scenario for the Clippers, the Thunder, their rebuild just got a million times richer because the Thunder, they can afford to just go right now, accelerate as high as they want to, go compete for championships, and all these picks that they're sitting on are going to collect value. And I think more importantly than that, they don't need to sit on these picks. The value of these picks have been increasing, and it's not just through the Thunder fan base. Everyone knows about these picks that the Thunder have. Opposing GMs know this. These are going to be valuable trade assets if the Thunder want to fly up the board in this draft. If they want to go get a star, an all-star right now, those picks have a lot more value than they did a week ago. And if they get bounced out in this first round, it's going to be very valuable. All those different picks, and particularly the ones in 2023, 2025, the swaps, and in 2024 and 2026, when you own them, they own everything the Clippers are going to be doing right now, and they, they can't do anything about it. At very best, they're going to be stuck around mediocrity if someone leaves and that's terrible for them and that's great for the Oklahoma City Thunder so look out for them and what might happen that's probably the highlight series to be watching now as a Thunder fan but another thing you need to be watching isn't even coming from the NBA it's coming from the Euro League and it's coming from Vasile Micic I talked about him yesterday and I thought I was being so cool talking about him because I was like you know what no one has probably heard of this guy in the last two months because Really, he hasn't been in the news in two months because there was chatter of him wanting to come over. Now it's like, no, that's not a surefire thing. And no one in the media really covered that part. They talked about how he would be coming over. They didn't talk about how he wasn't going to be coming over. So he's not a surefire guy. This is a question mark for a Thunder player. But you still need to keep tabs on them because they do have the draft rights. Micic has been talking about coming over to play in the NBA, and he definitely could. And here's why. He just won the EuroLeague MVP. He got awarded this yesterday, and he got it on some very high averages. He was averaging the fourth best scoring output in the league with Andu FS and Adalu FS, my bad. He was averaging 16.3 points and 4.8 assists while going 38.5% from three on almost five attempts a game. Deadly shooter, but that's not even his primary thing. He's one of the best passers in that league. If you want to talk about the Maladones, the Dex, the Pokashevskis, he's right down that alley, and he's more polished than all of them in terms of passing, at least in my opinion. He's 20, I think he's 28 years old. Take it back. He's 27 years old right now, so he's hitting his prime. But he could be a very valuable piece for the Thunder. I think even more so, he'd be a very valuable piece for a championship contender and as a trade ship. When the 76ers shipped him out in this Al Horford deal, didn't seem like anything significant. It seemed like one of those draft rights that you'd be laughing about in 30 years because they still have the draft rights. And you have a 57-year-old guy just lying around wondering, you know, what the hell is he doing? He's not going to be that. He has trade value on his own, even though he doesn't have a pen to paper agreement. He's playing in the NBA at all. Coming off this MVP year, he's been amazing for Anadalu. And quite frankly, I don't know if he should have won. Um, I was looking at some of these stats, and Alexi Sved, if you remember him from the Timberwolves, he's averaging damn near 20 points per game and 7.7 assists 
for Kimiki Moscow. That's where Markel Brown used to play. I think Corey Jefferson might have also had a stint there, but I don't know. Maybe he didn't play enough games. He just looks like the clear-cut pick for me, but I'm not going to complain because Sved is not coming over. He's staying in Russia. Micic might come over and play in the United States, and if that happens, that's major for us. I talked about it yesterday, so if you want to hear more in depth on Micic and what I think about him, you can listen to yesterday's, but um, you might as well just listen to it now because you might need to skim through a decent bit, but um, yeah. I see him as a guy that really would not be able to fetch a ton of minutes with us currently because there is just kind of this four-guard lineup that the Thunder have established, and this got established this season, at least in my eyes. You can't really slot a fifth guard in this mix. There's SGA, there is Ty Jerome, there's Teo Maladone, and who's going to be number four for you? And it comes down a lot to this draft. If no one gets picked in this draft and they get 8-18, eight and 18, it's a total wash, it's terrible, then maybe Micic could be off the bench for you. You could put Maladon in the starting unit, Ty Jerome 6'5", doesn't really matter, he can play shooting guard, he can play off the ball, and Micic would be a very dominant backup point guard. But if we're going to be honest here, I think that the Thunder, if they don't fall in a top pick where they get a guard um they would almost get themselves in a situation where they'd find one they have four picks technically five but I don't think they're going to be taking anyone at 55 anyways that's like a G League player or just hold on to him another Euro stash there's probably going to be a decent bit of those but I think they'd probably go to the draft for somebody and if it doesn't go that way where they get a guard they're probably going to fall out with a, a small forward like a Kuminga or a Scotty Barnes or something. And then Dort gets pushed back into the two guard. So I don't know if there's room for him, but I know there are going to be a lot of different teams out there contending who would love to have their hands on Micic. So in terms of the value he has for our team, it definitely does go up, but I think you look at him more as a trade piece in what he could be. I think you bring him over he could just be an amazing mentor. You know what he would do for Teo Maladone? That's the guy I'm thinking in particular, because that's kind of what I see in terms of some of these passes. He would make Maladone so much better. He could be a coach for us. He could be a coach for SGA, Poku. He could be that booster that they need, because there's not really a ton of guys who have this same kind of Euro play style that a lot of these Thunder players do, and even Deck. I guess Deck would be the mentor right now, but you know, Micic is even better at deck, really IQ-wise, at passing the ball. So you bring him in, and you get a gang of four different guys in Maladon, Poku, Deck, as well as Micic, make all three of them better, probably make himself better, and hell, you want to bring guys like Baze into the conversation, SGA in the conversation, open table, spread out the knowledge, a lot of them would be improved. So maybe they'd want to keep him anyways, but I think as a trade ship, all of the other 29 franchises would love him. Um, out of the ones that actually would trade for him, I'd say about 10. And when you talk about teams that need Al Horford, probably down to three. So he might just be a guy you spruce up a deal with. And I'd be completely fine with that because Al Horford doesn't make sense long term. He's kind of just going to be not really a nail or like a thorn in the, the salary books because it's not like the Thunder are going to be dealing with any free agency signings anyways but you might as well get him off because he doesn't have a future with the franchise it's as simple as that but we'll see what goes on with Michich. I definitely think the big story though heading into this week 
is going to be resting in the LA Clippers and what happens there. If there's any sort of tension, there's any stories, which there's a lot of fabricated stories, but if anyone's pissed in the Clippers locker room, put a pair of binoculars on, latch on to Twitter for the next hour and just see everything unfold because it could be absolutely magnificent as a Thunder fan. But make sure to do all that. Like I mentioned earlier, make sure to check out that solar panel episode. It is episode, I have it up right here. It's episode 259. It's called Sun's Guard Campaign Stops By. 35 minutes long. Really good listen. I don't even think they know that I listen to this, but yeah, it was a great listen for me. I learned a lot about Cameron Payne. And if you guys want to stay on track with some of the other Thunder players, both new and old, take a listen to that. Like I said, solar panel. And if you want to listen to any other kind of views on the league make sure to check out all the other affiliates with the basketball podcast network right now they got some new additions i was looking at some of the other new ones that they brought in this one was awesome uh for me because not only do i just love eating chicken but they're also pretty damn funny um there is the new series called chicken and the nuggets they talk about the denver nuggets eat chicken like i said pretty funny to listen to a lot of other guys you can um listen to as well though so want to spruce up your knowledge on the other teams on the league highly suggest it make sure to check out the basketball podcast network for that and you can find links to all the other franchises but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya